0: Amen. If you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, if you do not have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you. If you do not possess a Bible, it is our joy and our delight to put that into your hands, and you are free to take that home with you so that we can put God's eternal Word into your hands and hopefully into your hearts and your lives by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you turn there, we read these words in Luke chapter 1. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. They all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, I serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. We read in Isaiah chapter 55 that the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, My ways are not your ways, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. As we open the pages of scriptures, we see evidence of this statement because it is in God's revelation throughout from Genesis all the way to the very end And as we read the scriptures, which I hope you are accustomed to doing, not only in church but outside of church and hopefully on a daily basis, as we read these words of truth, oftentimes we must think, you know, I did not see that coming, or this is much different than what I would have imagined, or perhaps even thought this is peculiar, even odd, I wonder why God would do it this way. In other words, God is never conventional. He continually throws curveballs, so to speak. Or even to say it in another way, if variety is the spice of life, God cooks with a lot of spices. And this is probably no greater place shown and demonstrated than at the beginning of the gospel, in the gospel of Luke, with the birth narratives of John the Baptist and then with Jesus Already we've read of an old couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, beyond the child-bearing years, that they are indeed going to have a baby. Again, we see a young virgin, a young woman, in Nazareth, of all places, with child. Not by natural means, but by the Holy Spirit. In our passage this morning, we read of this baby, but not named after his father, not named Zachariah, but rather John. And again, as we move into Luke chapter 2, both on Christmas Eve and then on Christmas Day, we read that the Christ child, this king of kings, is not going to be born in a palace, but in a stable and placed in a manger. And again, the angels make this glad announcement, this glad pronouncement, of Christ's birth, not to the upper crust of Judea society, rather to lowly shepherds out in the field. In other words, again and again, we go, that's not what I would have expected. This is outside of the box. This in many ways seems upside down. And through it, I think it demonstrates the divine nature of God's revelation of his story because no man would have ever come up with this or never come up with this idea or this plan. But again and again, it demonstrates that God's thoughts indeed are not our thoughts. His ways, not our ways. And we can praise God that they're not And it should lead us to marvel and be amazed at what God has done and indeed is doing. God's work is always beyond our expectations and it should lead us to praise. And that is what we see in this passage this morning. That as Zachariah's tongue is loosed once again, he gives praise and glory and worship to God and the work of his salvation He praises God not only just as as Mary had done, but in agreement with Mary and with all of the saints as they looked for the coming of this Messiah and now seeing that that coming is preeminent. In fact, it is upon them. What is interesting, as we'll see in this passage this morning, is that Zachariah's song is not first and foremost about his own son, His newborn son, the one who lies in his arms. But his son, or excuse me, his song is of another, another child, another son, born to another couple. One that will be greater, one that will be mightier, that one that will come to fulfill all the promises of old. The one in whom the hopes of all the peoples reside. And then turning to his own son, he says, son... Your purpose is to serve Him, to point others to Christ, and so that they too will join in this song of praise, in this song of worship, that they would give glory to this Christ. Again, it might seem odd for a new father, a father that has waited for so many years to have his own son, but then to turn and gaze and think of another son, one that is worthy of such praise. And in so doing, I think Zechariah has us to turn our gaze upon this child and upon that great son, for that is to be our focus, our calling, and our duty. And so we'll see that this morning in three points, a reason to rejoice, a fulfillment of redemption, And third, the benefits of such redemption. First, the reason to rejoice. It's been a couple weeks now since we've talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, but we have read about them and heard about them from the beginning of this book. In the very first verses, in fact, we read that they were both of the priestly line of Levites. Zechariah himself was a, a priest and that he was serving in the temple. And that they, as a couple, were righteous before God, walking humbly in all of his ways and all of his commandments and the statues of the Lord. And then we also read that they were barren and advanced in years. As Zachariah and Elizabeth had prayed and prayed and prayed some more, no doubt with tears, to have a child. And that hope was growing very dim with each passing day, and in fact, each passing year. So much so that Zachariah seems to have given up on that hope and upon that dream. But it's just then, when there seems to be no hope at all, that Gabriel comes to the hopeless one. To give a glad announcement that his wife, Elizabeth, the one that was barren and advanced in years, will indeed give birth. And that his son would be a forerunner to the Messiah. He would fulfill that last of the Old Testament prophets, Malachi, of the one that would come. The one that would be the Elijah that would make straight the way of the Lord. But Zechariah, instead of receiving this announcement with gladness, doubts, and in fact disbelieves. He doubts the promises of God. He doubts the power of God. As Gabriel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Zechariah essentially says, no, it is impossible. This cannot happen. It cannot take place. And so you remember Zechariah is disciplined by the Lord. He is struck dumb. He's struck mute. And in fact, from this passage, we can at least imply that he also could not hear for a time. So he could not speak and he could not hear. But what we can learn from this passage is that God's plans are never thwarted by man's unbelief. For we read in this passage before us this morning, verse 57 Now the time came for. Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. You notice what it says, that God's plan still came to fruition. It does not say, well, Elizabeth and Zachariah were supposed to have a baby, but because they didn't believe, it wasn't given to them. In other words, they weren't good little boys and good little girls, and so they were not rewarded. It does not say, you know what, they did not have enough faith And because they did not have enough faith, they were not given this gift of a new child. In other words, this is not Jiminy Crickets. And when you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are, that anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dreams, no request is too extreme when you wish upon a star. Can we be thankful that we do not live in a Disney world? with a Disney worldview, that God's plans are not based on our wishes and our desires and our dreams or even the lack thereof, but on his perfect fulfillment of his plan. Because the wishes of everyone, for Zachariah and Elizabeth to have a baby, were long past. But praise God, it was not too long for God, who can do abundantly above and beyond that which we can even ask and even that which we can imagine because it says that the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and this was indeed reason to rejoice in fact it says in verse 58 that the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and rejoiced with her. That they came together to celebrate the, the birth of this son, that this son indeed was given in a special way. And we notice, perhaps we can imply who is there? Mary. Because if you read in the narrative up to this point, we read that it was in verse 26, the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth that Gabriel came to Mary. And it says that Mary immediately went to her cousin Elizabeth. And then in verse 56, it says that she stayed there for three months. So if I'm doing my math correctly, six months plus three months equals nine months. Now, it's been a little while since the last... Smith pregnancy but I'm pretty sure that's how long it takes and Mary was seemingly there to rejoice and to join in this celebration of this new birth to celebrate with Elizabeth but also to celebrate what the Lord was doing as well as to have further confirmation of her own birth and of her own child and no doubt this was indeed the Lord's doing Why? Because we not only see it that this old woman has a newborn son, but also because what they name him, what they are able to name him. Because all of the relatives, as we read in this passage, wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. They wanted to name him Zach Jr. That would have been the the precedence, right? Right? But Elizabeth says, no, he shall be called John, because that is what they were told by the angel to name their son. Now this seems strange and odd to all of the neighbors and all of the relatives, and perhaps they thought, you know what, Elizabeth's been through a lot, (laughs) Maybe she's a little bit too old. This has been a little bit too difficult on this old lady. Perhaps she's grown a little senile. Let's ask Zachariah. And in fact, it says that they had to make signs to him, which indicates perhaps that he was not only dumb and mute, but deaf, inquiring what he wanted his son to be called. And Zechariah asks for his tablet. No, children, that is not an iPad but rather a writing tablet and writes, his name is John. And in fact, in the Greek, it's more emphatic than that. It is, John is his name. If we're writing it in English, we would put an exclamation point, double underline, John is his name. And that is the other lesson I think we can learn from this, As I mentioned, God's plans are never thwarted by man. But the other lesson is this. It's never too late to come into conformity with God's plans. That if you missed it the first time, or the second time, or the hundredth time, then get it on the hundred and first time. And that is what we read in this passage. In fact, if you were with us in Sunday school this morning, we saw another example of that of Abram who missed it when he went to Egypt and had his wife be called his sister. He missed it there, but in the very next chapter, he got it right with his nephew, Lot. Well, so too here. The first time that the message comes to Zechariah, he goes, no, I cannot believe it, I cannot trust it. In other words, he missed it there, but he does not miss it here, does he? And we can praise God that God does not operate on one and done, you get one chance and one opportunity and if you don't get it right, then he's moving on. No, God is the God of the second chances. And in fact, the third chances and fourth chances. Not because he has to, far be it, but rather because he desires to do so. Because he is gracious. He is compassionate. And he forgives sinners. Sinners like Zechariah. And sinners like you and like me. And what is even more tremendous about this testimony is in the naming of this child, John, Janos in the Greek, it means literally Yahweh, that is the Lord, is gracious. Do you think Zachariah needed some grace from the Lord? Do you think you and I need grace from the Lord? Yes, every single day. And that is what Zechariah received. He received grace upon grace. Grace not only for his former doubts and his former disbelief, but also in this moment, because in that moment that he writes, John is his name, it says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. Now, when Zechariah believes, when he takes this step of obedience He too can join in on the rejoicing of this child and the rejoicing of what God has done. In fact, it says his tongue was loose and he spoke blessings of God. The first words out of his mouth after nine months of silence is not bitterness, not complaining, not why me, but rather praise. Just like Mary spoke forth the magnificat, that my soul magnifies the Lord. So here, Zachariah, we have the Benedictus, the blessed be the Lord God of Israel. His tongue was loosed, and out of the lips comes praise. Now, I think your tongue and your lips are working this morning, correct? Correct. What are the words that are coming out of your mouth today? Is it grumbling? Is it complaining? Is it murmuring? Or is it praise and worship and thankfulness? Because it takes no effort, does it, to grumble and complain. That comes quite naturally, doesn't it? To have a glass half empty perspective on life. But it takes a heart to think of things above, to see life from a perspective of gratitude and thankfulness, and ultimately of worship and praise. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what do your words today, this week, say about your heart Do they show a heart that is grateful and thankful for all God has done? Or does it show a heart that is discontent, that grumbles, that complains? And many of you might say, but you don't understand, pastor. I have reason to be bitter. I have reason to complain. Life has been hard for me. I have gone through this and that and the other. I've had to go without the things that I've needed or the things that should have been provided for me. And I understand. I understand how that is. But I think you have a friend in Zechariah who went a long time without, had years of affliction, and yet when his heart and his mouth and his tongue was freed, it was freed to praise God when the time finally comes for him to speak, it's not murmuring, is it? It's praise. It's not complaining, but it's blessing upon God. That is a wonderful lesson because life is not perfect. It never will be. What, what a wonderful time. What a wonderful season to praise our God, to have our hearts full of rejoicing. Through all of life's challenges, we need to continue to look heavenward. Have a mouth that continues to praise, lips that continue to bless our God. It's never a wrong time to praise God. And so, what is it that we can praise Him for? Well, that is what we see with Zechariah, don't we? The fulfillment of redemption. Why is His heart so full and His lips speaking forth the praise and blessing of God? Well, we see it in His song. Look at His song of praise beginning there in verse. 68, it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. You notice the verb tenses there. Verb tenses are important, especially in the scriptures. And notice what it's talking about. What is John, or excuse me, what is Zechariah focusing upon? He's, he's focusing upon the, the coming of the Messiah. In fact, the birth of Christ. But he does not say he will visit, he will redeem, he will raise up. No, you notice, he has visited. He has redeemed. He has raised up. He talks in the past tense about a future reality. In other words, Zechariah can speak so confidently about the future because he's reminded of the past. The entire middle section of this song, much like Mary's, is recounting the past about what God has said, the promises that God has given long ago, the revelation that is given to us throughout Scripture. In other words, Jesus and even John don't just show up on the scene out of nowhere. No, God has given this years of revelation. In fact, that is the reason why God waited so long, didn't he? Why wasn't it that because Adam and Eve sin wasn't the next very event, Christ coming to this earth? It was because God showed himself to be faithful, fulfilling all of these promises of all this many years so that we can trust and believe that much greater. And that is exactly what Zechariah does here In fact, we have a good indication of what Zachariah was doing for those nine months of silence. He was meditating on the promises of God. It shows that the discipline of God was effective in his life because the Lord brought him back to the Scriptures. And it had good effects because what do we find? Well, we see him meditating on the fact that this salvation is for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah is reminded that God promised to David that there would be one that comes out of the stump of Jesse that will rule forever. And Zechariah is saying, this one is he. It's the son of David. He goes on to say that he spoke of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from the hand of all that hate us. That the holy prophets said that this was going to take place, and and indeed it is. He goes on to say, verse 72, he's shown the mercy promised to our fathers. He's remembered his holy covenant. Do you see what Zachariah is doing? He's saying, that's right. I had forgotten about the fathers, about the covenant faithfulness of God, that they were promised mercy. Why? Because they were so great? No, because God is so great. Because they were so faithful, heavens no. Have you read the history of Israel? No, God is faithful. And therefore, we can remember, as he says here, that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we would be delivered. That God indeed would be our God and that he, we would be his people. Therefore, we might serve him, as it says in verse 74, without fear, but rather in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Do you see the meditation of Zechariah's hearts? Calvin says Zachariah has the whole of redemption history in view. See, whereas Zachariah once doubted and disbelieved, he's shored up that disbelief Through remembering the God's promise, he's become confident because of God, because of the scriptures and the things that were promised so many years ago. So much so that he can say, again, about a future event he has visited. And in fact, he has redeemed. What God said he would do, in fact, he is doing and has already done because he promised it from old. See, Zechariah brings us back to the future, and says this is as good as done. And so let me ask you this morning, do you have the same confidence that Zachariah has? Not just to come and say, yes, he has come at Christmas. Not to just say, yes, he has redeemed. But in fact, that he has come for you. That he has redeemed you. That he is indeed coming again for you. See, we have a better perspective even than that of Zechariah. We have seen more of God's revelation. And therefore, we ought to have greater confidence. Is your confidence secure this morning? If it is unsure, then return to the Scriptures. Read the stories of old. Read the coming of Christ. That old, familiar Christmas tune and that old, familiar Christmas passage. Read the teachings and preachings of the Apostle. This is indeed why we need preaching. And I would even say not just once on Sunday, but twice. So that our faith would be secure. See, not secure in us, but secure in Christ. Because as Zachariah said, he has redeemed, he has saved us, he has remembered his covenant. Our faith is not in our faith Our faith is not in how strong we believe, or how good our deeds are, or lack thereof. Our faith is in God, in Him who saves. In fact, R.C. Sproul says we're not—we are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because Jesus holds tightly to us. And therefore, that should lead us to praise and to singing. Again, no matter what is taking place in your life, no matter if it's good or bad, no matter if this is a a great Christmas season or not one of the better, the Christmas time should always bring us back to great confidence and trust and belief in our God. The God that sent his Son for your redemption and my redemption, the one that has been faithful in every circumstance in every year, in every age, in every epoch, in all times. The one that Paul is able to say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give with him graciously us all things? Well, that is the hope and indeed the confidence that we should have at this time. But it goes on to speak here third of the benefits of redemption. Zachariah and the Bottom portion of his song turns to his son, not to heap praise on him, but rather to say to his son, you have a job to do. You have a great and glorious task. You're going to be called a prophet. You're going to prepare the way of the Lord. And in so doing, you're going to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And this is what you're going to be able to proclaim. These are the benefits of that gospel, of that redemption. And in fact, these things are almost too good to be true if God didn't tell them to us. He says, John, you are going to proclaim the knowledge of salvation. You see that in verse 77. For you will prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people. You're going to reveal who the Messiah truly is. That this Messiah is no longer going to be a mystery. This one that we've been hoping in, believing in, but never knowing his name, we know his name now. Because he's going to come to us in the form of a person. His name is Jesus. We are going to be able to look to him. We know the knowledge of this salvation. goes on to say, you're going to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. We have a mountain of sins that stands between us and God. We could even call it a Mount Everest of sin, but through Christ it is all done away with. It's all put asunder. Most know the burden of financial debts. What if someone was able to say to you this Christmas, hey, I'm going to take that for you. I think all of us would do backflips, wouldn't we? We'd be so delighted, we'd be so joyous that that burden was lifted through Christ, the infinite debt owed to an eternal God is paid and it's paid in full. That's what it means to be redeemed. That we've been reconciled to a holy God. And we've not only been made friends with God, we've been made children of God, sons and daughters for all of eternity. That's why Zacharias said, because of the tender mercies, Of our God. He has not treated us as our sins deserve. Far from it. Rather he's been tender. He's been compassionate as a loving father. The the Greek actually says the the bowels of mercy have been shown of our God. Meaning it's the, the very inmost parts of God. The very heart of who he is. The Characteristic is one of mercy and compassion. Third, you're going to, John, bring light into the darkness. It says the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of, of night and death. We live in a dark and confusing world, don't we? Where everyone is lost and stumbling in the darkness, but Christ brings light into this dark, dark world He lights the way. Just as he did on the first day of creation and said, let there be light. So he does on the first day of our redemption, doesn't he? He says, let there be light in our hearts and in our minds so that we can make sense of all the world and see it from a right perspective. Before, we did not know up from down and left from right. But the gospel brings light. It's like when someone turns on the lights in a dark room, you can see everything. So too in Christ. We were once scared and afraid and confused, but rather the light has been shown. The sunrise has visited us from on high. The sun, S-U-N, has risen in the rising of the sun through his resurrection and ascension. In the world, there's only darkness and death, but in Christ, there's hope. In Christ, there's life forevermore, and this brings hope and joy. Well, Zechariah is not done. He finishes it this way and to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what we'll hear the angels sing to the shepherds peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But Zechariah, in fact, beats them to the chorus. He says that there is going to be peace through this Christ child. <laughs> There is no greater comfort that we can have than peace. We don't appreciate peace until it's gone. I think if you asked the Ukrainians this day, what is it that you most want for Christmas? I think they would say peace. In Christ, that is what we have. Peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. Peace within yourself. All of this comes because of Christ. Again, do you see the progression That the way of salvation, the knowledge of salvation brings the forgiveness of sins, which brings the light of life, which brings peace with God and others. None of these things are things that you can wrap and put them under the Christmas tree. But all of them are far greater than anything that you'll receive this year. And isn't it, when it comes down to it, what we truly want and what we truly need Yes, sweaters and ties and boys and girls, toys are nice. But they're all momentary. Salvation, forgiveness, life, peace. That's eternal. And it's not will be yours, it is yours in Christ. If you have Christ, then you have everything you need for Christmas. And that makes it an awesome Christmas, doesn't it? And it's ours every year, all the time, all throughout the year, until Christ comes back again or we go to be with Christ. And then it'll be even better still. It'll be Christmas every day. And so, church, we ought to rejoice. We ought to have joy. We ought to join in this song of praise. That these things are ours because Christ is ours and we are Christ forever. And so Zacharias says to his son, son, this is your message. This is your proclamation. This is what you are to do. But it's not just John's message, is it? It's the Lord's message. And it's the Lord's message this Christmas to you and to me and to all who believe and trust in Christ. Indeed, as Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. Light indeed has shone and it is shining and it will shine even greater still in the days to come. So rejoice. Join in with this song of the redeemed and say with Zechariah, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed me and his people forever. Amen. Join with me now in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for these messages. These are messages that are not new and we're grateful, Lord, that we've heard them so many times. And in fact, Lord, we confess to you that they've become so familiar to us, we sometimes seek to Cease to rejoice and have joy and gladness as we ought. But Lord, as the proclamation of the good news of the gospel, that knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the light of life, the peace that is ours, Lord, these are the greatest gifts that we can ever receive in this life or in the next. And so, would we receive them this day willingly and joyfully and thankfully? And Lord, would our hearts, as a result, overflow in all that you have done. Would our lips sing forth with praise and joy because of who you are as our God. And we praise you for it in Christ's name.